Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Amy McTeer. Amy and I had a fascinating conversation around the subconscious beliefs we hold, why they're there, what they do to us, and ultimately how we can overcome the things that they do to us. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Amy, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Doing pretty well. How are you, Brianne? I'm excited oh. to be here. I'm really honored. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm doing well. I had a brutal workout earlier that maybe like afterwards, I'm like, I don't want to work the rest of the day, but I can do this. <laughs> so here I am. And it's awesome. <laughs> right. This will just be working out your, your mouth muscles and your brain. Exactly. Brain. Exactly. Not your body. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. Hey, well, I'm excited to talk to you um, today. We talked a little bit in the past just to kind of, so I could learn more about you and what you do. And I think it's really cool as far as what you do as a coach. Um, Before we dive into kind of the topic at hand that we wanted to discuss, I would just love you to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay, sure. So my name is Amy McTeer and I'm a mindset and emotional resiliency coach. And I'm also a neurofeedback provider. So I have a brick and mortar practice and I administer neurofeedback, which I'm sure a lot of people don't know what that is, but some people do, some of your listeners. And I have, and I'm a coach. I help people live on purpose, essentially. That is the ultimate goal is to help people live confidently and comfortably on purpose and to remove the subconscious obstacles that stand in the way of just their ability to flow into life and be who they are and be successful and be thriving and contributing, you know, at the highest level. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, You know, it's, it's so easy to say we're living a purposeful life or we're living our, like living our purpose, but then to actually live it, especially if we like look back and start analyzing things, we start to realize we really aren't being that person that we intend to be, or that we want to be, um, why, why is this, why is this disconnect there? Why does this disconnect happen? Of like, we know who we want to be, but then we aren't living up to that person. Right. Well, I think a lot of it is cultural. So I think that the culture and I'm, when I say cultural, I don't just mean cultural in the U S I think that there is a world culture now, whereas many, many, many years ago we had sort of different cultures, I think, and different um, cultural myths around the planet, we now have basically, you know, united in that way, except for maybe a few small pockets. So in general, we have, we have sort of cultural myths about playing safe, playing small, there's not enough, a separation, you know, that we're all separate from each other. And those, those are sort of like the beneath, they're like the roots And they get played out and they get, they get sort of transmitted to us, you know, even though they might not be overtly spoken, but there is like an overall sort of um, belief system that we should, that it's, that we shouldn't take risks, that we should play it safe. And I think we're continuously faced by that in very unconscious ways. And that affects us. And, and that message is out there, that message to conform play it safe, play small, you know, choose a sanctioned path for doing something. So I, I think that's largely why it is. I think there's also other like, you know, reasons that 
you know, um, have to do with our bias towards negativity, like the brain's negativity bias, right? You hear people talking about that more and more. So our brain's um, natural kind of, or the way our brain has evolved. So evolutionary psychologists think that the human brain has evolved to prioritize the negative, to always look for the worst case scenario, right? So I think that's a factor too. So I think there's internal factors and there's external factors that we've internalized. Okay. Let's start at the more um, kind of like you were talking with the playing small. Do like, does this come from our parents and what we're kind of being told? Is this something that just kind of happens as we start going through school and start getting grades and, or getting in trouble or like, where does this playing small start? Yeah, I think that it starts really young. It's really modeled to us, you know, and again, it's, it may not be overtly spoken, but you know, what we have learned about the human mind is that most of our beliefs about who we are and why we're here and what's possible, what's safe has been learned by the age of six years old. And so that can be modeled to us literally, like, I don't know if you've heard, you know, that we learn to breathe from our parents in our infancy. We learn like literally by, by just being near them and seeing how they breathe and feeling how they breathe, that we actually imitate that. So there's lots of things that get transmitted, like just even fears or anxieties, right? Or um, attitudes even about scarcity or abundance or safety or threat or um, freedom of expression, right? So all of these things can start. and, And that is what is believed to be true now is that that we get our, you know, most of our self-image is developed by the time we're six years old. Most of our beliefs about what our role is in this world and what's possible, you know, for us is determined by that time and will continue to affect us subconsciously and affect our moves and what we do in the world and how we behave and how we act and what we go for unless we intervene. And so that's, that's what my work is with clients is to intervene with them, like, you know, help them intervene, help them interrupt those subconscious belief systems to understand what the core subconscious belief system is that is stopping them from just doing what they want, doing what they know they, they want to do for their health or for their, your, their career or in their relationships, you know? So crazy that like by the age of six, a lot of that's formed already. Cause it's like, most of our memories aren't before like the age of five. And so the fact that like we take all of that in without even kind of realizing it and not really having a, almost a role in how that develops is really fascinating. Yeah. It's mind blowing. I I agree. That was the thing that shocked me almost the most too, you know, and then, you know, in psych in the field of psychology, you know, there's attachment even like we, and, the unhealthy attachment, if it starts younger, right? If there was an injury to our ability to attach, let's say to our caregivers, and the younger that starts, the harder it is to undo it because it's pre-verbal, you know? Okay. So it's, so what that tells us is that there are a lot of things happen pre-verbal, 
we get a lot where we are sensitive beings. We are sensing our environment. We are, we are like, and, and before the age of six, we're in largely like a hypnotic state. We're either in a almost sleep state, like a delta, a dominant, you know, delta wave state, which is actually sleep, um, or a theta state, which is that twilight sleep, that literally a, a hypnagogic state. And so that makes us highly impressionable. Like that's why children learn so quickly because they're literally like unformed clay and everything that happens in our environment just impresses upon that and becomes literally the template for our lives unless we intervene, like I said. That's so interesting. So interesting. Now I know you, when we were talking before, um, we're talking a little bit about self-sabotage are kind of these beliefs that we form when we're younger, like, is that the reason that we self-sabotage or is it us not seeing our highest potential? Like what's, what's the reason that we, what's the reason behind us holding ourselves back from being that person that we want to and, and doing things in our life to make sure those things don't happen essentially. Right. Well, that's the ultimate question, right? And that's an, a great question. And I would say we self-sabotage largely because as a protective, it's a protective, self-protective mechanism. So the subconscious has a belief or an impression or has learned that something is not safe way long ago. And that could be anything that could be like, don't touch a hot stove or don't go near a steep incline or don't talk to strangers or don't get close to someone or don't, you know, it's like, it could be so many different things, but the subconscious mind is designed to keep you alive. And it, it's, it's protective. It's largely protective, even though we are sabotaging ourselves and people sabotage themselves in a myriad of ways, right? We could sabotage ourselves with, you know, substances or, you know, addictions or, you know, drugs, alcohol, food. It could be that we sabotage ourselves with procrastination or, or zoning out or an inability to focus, you know, or um, having angry outbursts. But whatever, whatever it is, it's the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind's way of stopping us from doing something it will believe, it believes will harm us. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. And what's coming to mind right now is like, is that we're also, cause I'm feeling like some people like that subconscious self-sabotage as far as not like doing something so they can't perform as well. And so like, does failure kind of play into this too, as far as those people are afraid to fail and that's like that unsafe point for them? Yeah. Absolutely. Fear of failure. Fear of failure is almost on everybody's list. You know, it's in there somewhere. Um, because when I, when I do this work with clients, you know, what we are doing is going into, we're finding what the, in, what the person wants, right. Truly wants, you know, and how that aligns with their purpose, what their goals are and what are the obstacles, like precisely what are the obstacles that are standing in the way of that, the internal obstacles, and so in doing that resolution work of like, okay, let's understand the internal obstacles and then let's resolve the internal conflict, right? Because it's a conflict between the conscious mind says, I want to, um, 
give me an example. Like I want to like create this business or I want to be a performer, whatever it is, or I want to be a master athlete. And the subconscious says, you know, if you go out there, you might be ridiculed or judged and you'll lose love and you'll die. You'll be thrown out of the herd. Right. So it's very primal usually. And so in there is always some kind of fear of failure, but, but we're going in to kind of resolve like, okay, this, the conscious mind has this goal of going out and being a performer or being seen or being a speaker. And the subconscious says, if you are, if you are seen, you will be hurt. You will be rejected, which is like a, a deal breaker. And the subconscious is so powerful that it will literally sabotage you, it, you will find yourself having negative feelings every time you go for it, or you'll be, find yourself being doing like, you know, contradictory behaviors, right? Or not, not able to speak. These are all subconscious. Um, so yes, it's, it is a fear. Uh, there's always a fear of failure, but I think that the bigger thing to understand is what the fear actually is. You know, it's when people can get to the heart of what the fear is um, and that's subconscious, then they can then they can update it. They can update the subconscious mind like, OK, look, now I'm 50. Right. It's not unsafe for me to speak in public. It's not unsafe for me to be seen. I can actually handle it. Not everybody's going to like me or agree with me or want to hear what I have to say. That's still safe. Right. So that's kind of that's that's the work. And then do most of these fears tend to come like, I know some like the human body just has some natural fears ingrained in us as far as like fear of falling and whatever else I'm spacing on all of them right now, but do a lot of these fears, especially when it comes to like speaking, performing, things like that, do they come from those stories, those things that happened to us when we were younger and the things that we were told? They come from... It may not, like, again, it may not be what we were told, but what, what we interpreted, let's say it like that. It's like what we interpreted from our environment, from our relationships about what was going to bring us connection and safety and what was going to bring us harm or danger. Okay. Okay. So, um, it doesn't have to be what was overtly spoken. It was whatever we, we interpreted, interpreted the situation. Yeah. And it could be from what was said to us, right? There are, there are many parenting styles that put children down and you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough and you're stupid and all this, right. You know, um, but it also might not be, it might be that the parents never said it, but there was some interpretation in the child's world, in our world that caused us to believe that. Okay. That makes sense. When like, do you find that people tend to self-sabotage or have these beliefs just in one area of their life? Or does it seem to be like, if they have like this one belief, it tends to impact like all areas or multiple aspects of a person's life? I think it can be both. I think that, you know, often when you discover it in one place, you discover it some other place. So let's say areas of our life, like areas of our life would be, you know, like in our finances and in our career and in our relationships and in our health, right? Like, so let's just say like in those four categories. Interestingly, what I have found, and I've been doing this for, you know, a while now, it's like 
that people tend to struggle in like two, let's say of those four areas and the other two, they, they skate along more easily. Have you ever noticed that? Like, have you noticed, like maybe notice it in yourself or notice it in people that you're close to? It's like, oh my God, this is like money's a struggle and love, but man, their health is always great. And they're just rocketing forward in their career, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, but I, but that said, it's like, if there's a fear of being rejected and, and someone's subconscious solution for that is to withdraw, then you're, you're going to see that perk up, right. In different areas of life and different arenas of life. Okay. That makes sense. So I'm kind of saying yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally get it. Yeah. That makes sense. Let's take a quick break to talk about Venga CBD. I absolutely love CBD because of what it can do for the body with decreasing inflammation, increasing recovery, and enhancing sleep. Venga has an awesome product in the Ultra Gels to enhance recovery and also has their sleep product, which is amazing for both the recovery aspect because it has the CBD but also the sleep aspect because it has a compound called CBN as well as melatonin. The other thing I absolutely love about Venga is it is made by athletes for athletes. So it is a highly tested product to ensure that it is high quality and is clean. I encourage you to go check out Venga CBD and test it out for yourself and see if you get the same benefits that I do. You can check out all of their great products by going to getyourfixpt.com slash VengaCBD. And if you use my code getyourfix at checkout, you can save an extra 20%. You can also check out all of my partners at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now let's get back to the conversation. So when, like, if someone starts realizing, you know what, every time I do X, like Y happens and they start realizing they have this self-sabotaging pattern, obviously it's not an overnight fix, but how do we start breaking ourselves out of these patterns that we've created for ourselves? Yeah. Well, I think number one is to notice, right. To notice the behavior. So the thing that we can see most easily is the behavior, right? We can see like, okay, I overeat or I overdrink and I didn't want to, and I did it again. Crap, right? You know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, So noticing the behavior and then saying to yourself, well, what was the emotion under the behavior that caused me to do that? And you might say, well, I was anxious or angry. Okay, well, what was the thought that caused that emotion, that caused that behavior? Well, and this is where it gets harder for people, right? So it's like the thought is harder to find than the behavior. So that's why you work backwards, you work down the ladder Mm -hmm. that way. So the the thought would be, well, if I really think about it, like, what was the thought? What was the thought? Well, the thought was, um, you know, I have to... I can't do what I want. I have to, or I have to, I have to take this job and I don't want to, you know? And then it's like looking underneath the thought, well, what's the belief that's under the thought that's under the emotion that's under the behavior. 
So once you start to have that, then let's say the belief is like, I'm not free. I can't do what I want or what I love. I can't succeed. I'm not worthy of having what I want. That's where usually it's like you find this whole like kind of cesspool of like negative beliefs, you know, and, and once you have that, then it's like, well, what's true about this and what isn't right. You bring the adult onto the scene because that's maybe just going on for since childhood. I'm not good enough, which causes the behavior, you know, Mm -hmm. overeating, over drinking, whatever, smoking cigarettes to the point of, you know, becoming ill with cancer or something. So it's like, understand once you know what the belief system is, then you can hold counsel with it, you know, but, it, but in an answer to your question, cause it, it does get like, that's where it's really helpful to have a guide at that point is to have someone help you see the thoughts. That's a little harder, but usually people can notice the behavior and then determine the emotions behind the behavior. Once you do that, you break the spell. You know, once you even notice the behavior, you start to break the spell, I should say. Because now it's not just on autopilot. It's not just on automatic. You're starting to question. You're coming back into the present moment and bringing your awareness to it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to make it go away. Presto change, not usually, but it it will start the process. Yeah, no, and it makes a lot of sense, at least for me, um, a couple of years ago when I was starting to work on a lot of different things in myself, it would be like, initially it was, I would like do something, I would react. And then it was like five seconds later, I was like, oh crap, <laughs> like I did it again. Right. And so it, it was just that like starting to be aware of those situations. And then over time, it's like, you, you really start to get a con- get control of it. It's, it's pretty interesting. It is, right? So it's like, you may not, you know, earlier on, you may, it may have taken you years to notice an event, like what that meant. And then it, like, what I usually find is like, the more we notice it, then that, that time between noticing it and it happening gets smaller and smaller mm-hmm. until it becomes, then that gets ahead of it. You're about to blow up or something and you catch yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is key. <laughs> <laughs> Now you mentioned earlier, um, and I want to dive into it a little bit um, before we close today, um, that we all are essentially born or we all have a negative bias in us. Like what's, and I don't, you know, whether you know the reason for this or not, but is there like a protective reason that we have a negative bias or why is it that we kind of go that route versus like the world's awesome and everything's great? Right. Well, that's, you know, it's like, I I don't have a sure answer, but according to evolutionary psychology, the theory is that the humans that were the most anxious and nervous are the ones that we are the descendants of. They are the ones who survived because they weren't sitting around the fire getting relaxed. I'm now I'm just like uh, living here, but like drinking, getting boozed up and then, you know, the woolly mammoth attacks or the other tribe. It's like they were the ones who were on alert, anxious, you know, watchful waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, um, and that, and that they were the ones that survived and we descended from that. So we have a predisposition to prioritize negativity, negative thoughts, feelings, emotions, events, memories in our brain that gets priority in the human brain. I think it's a range of like, you know, how strong a person's negative negativity bias is, but I think we all have it. 
some people have it really, really come in with it. Like, you know, really strong, <laughs> all cylinders. <laughs> blazing. <laughs> I mean, that was me for sure. You know, that was definitely me just like, could always like, Oh, this is the worst. This could happen. You know, which is what led me of course to my work. Right. So always <laughs> what leads us to our greatest work is our greatest challenge. Um, so that's the theory. The theory is that, that that's why we have that, that it's a survival mechanism. The problem is, is that it doesn't allow us to thrive. We don't have the same, like we have um, reached a point in our evolution where we, ha- we like, we have sh- enough shelter and food and clothing and we're relatively safe, you know, but we have, um, we, we are, the brain gets a, a literally like a jolt from the cortisol, from the, the stress hormones, and it can become very addicted to it. And it can, it can pattern in, you know, a negative emotional reaction, just being negative and emotional, you know? And so that is one of the things that we work on, you know, that I work on with my clients is how do you generate positive emotions? You know, how do you shift that? How do you shift away from the the default, it's just the default. It's the computer that, you know, the brain was formed like it's two thirds of the way wired when we are born and the rest of the wiring is up to us. And it's shaped by our, the events in our lives and, and all of that. So how do we, how do we keep, cause it's plastic. We can keep shaping it no matter what has happened to us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the good news. Is it more of just finding a balance because obviously we don't want to be like the world's awesome everything's great because we're I mean we do need to be cautious about some things in life like we don't want to walk down that dark alley in a bad neighborhood and just pretend like nothing's going to happen so is it finding that balance of understanding like what's safe and what's not I think it is like you said it's unavoidable and it's partially important right? It's important. You know, they've even said like, there is a positive effect of being of negative emotions. It makes us more sensitive to other people. It makes us more caring and more understanding, right? So there is, there, they are important, but it's, I think it's, it's um, by default way out of balance and it has, it gets way out of balance easily. Um, So I think that the, the key is having is having self-mastery is understanding this process or this, um, this condition, right. That we humans have evolved to become, you know, very negative. It's understanding that that's how the, our brains will work, that they will go towards the, the negative and to understand when that is going into like, this is not serving, this is not serving me at all. And in fact, this is sabotaging me. Right. So I think it's like, it's education. And that's something I I've always wanted to kind of see like in our schools. And I, I believe if we keep evolving, if we don't destroy ourselves completely, that we will, this will be part of our early education for our children, you know, is to help them understand that and help them shape that and help them be able to understand the effect of positive emotions on the brain and what they do and how they also, they also you know, the more negative emotions we have, the more negative experiences we're likely to have in the future. Likewise, the more positive emotions we have, the more we're likely to have positive experiences in the future. I mean, that's, that's the latest in neuroscience. You know, we know that, we know that that's how it works. 
That's not just a kind of new, a new age sentiment. So, um, so that's what I think it is, is, is education, is understanding how our minds work and how to get them to work for us rather than against us. You know, we do need to be aware and alert, but we're hype, we can be also be hyper alert where we're laying in our bed or we're in a safe situation and we're in fight or flight. I see that all the time in my office when people come in for neurofeedback because I can see the brain activity. And literally they're in this comfortable chair over here and they've got headphones on and beautiful music and beautiful visuals and their fight or flight is, you know, so amplified off the charts. Okay. And they're like, oh, that was really relaxing. I think I fell asleep. So that tells me too, that like, it's usually a lot worse than that even, do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Which is that it's just like, so that's just the secretion of stress hormones into the body, which we know are, is correlated to all major illnesses, you Mm -hmm. know? an inability to sleep, an inability to reflect. So I think education and understanding and being able to master our own reactions to things and regulate ourselves emotionally, that's what I think is most important. That's what I do with my clients. And that's what I had to do with myself. You know, that's what I had to learn. Okay. Um, is, is most of this, or I shouldn't say most of this, um, you know, I've heard the term, especially more recently in the past, probably three, four years of emotional intelligence. Is that kind of part of this whole mastery is, is gaining that control over the emotions and really understanding how that plays into our lives? Right. Yeah. So I didn't, there is a book, I I think called emotional intelligence, which I didn't read. So I don't want to like, if it's a brand thing, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but I do think that what they're referring to there is being able to regulate your emotions you know, so not suppress them, but regulate, mm-hmm. self-regulate, you know, be present, not be, you know, just controlled by them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, you know, truthfully, that's what, that's probably the experience of the majority of people is that we're being controlled by our emotions. We're being led around. We're being, you know, we're bobbing out in the ocean, like a buoy just thrown around by our emotions. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we had a deeper sense or a deeper understanding of ourselves or of a, of a deeper inner voice, which is something I've called like the one true voice within us. And then we have all these conditioned voices. And that's part of the work too, is helping people identify with that and access that even in difficult times, you know? Yeah. I like how you worded that as far as we have our one true voice and all these conditioned voices, because it is, um, it's a really great analogy to really what happens as far as that reaction that happens when like someone says something and you're triggered and you do this, or, you know, the teacher punishes you when you do this. Um, it's that like, I almost view it as the, like the reactors versus our true self, which should be our responder. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, when you talk about self-sabotage, right, just to circle back to why do we do that? Literally, it's just the refiring of an, of an earlier um, traumatic event. And, and when I say traumatic event, it could be just how we interpreted something that mm-hmm. was traumatic internally to us, like an emotional jolt or shock. And so there's people reaching for drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, you know, um, having anger outbursts or self-harming or whatever, because that, that gets triggered unconsciously. 
So emotional self-regulation is huge and being able to be present is huge. Really, really important. Yeah. Awesome. We'll start closing this out. Is there anything that you feel super important to mention today that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I would just say, just add that, you know, um, helping people find their purpose is a really good way of helping people orient themselves in their lives, helping them um, have a frame for difficult times and difficult events, you know, and so that's a big, big part. I mean, it's a, it's a much longer conversation, but it's a big, it's a big part of it as well. And it's the thing that I think makes each of us unique. And so in working with clients one-on-one, it's like helping them understand that about themselves. You know, who am I? Why am I here? What's my, what's my role? What am I, you know, what do I care about most? What, what am I here to caretake? Is another, that's, that's what I just would say, like, just to mention that as like, another pillar of what's so important about this work and how to orient and how to make sense of life, you know, (laughs) and how to get yourself back on target when you fly off and fall off, which we all do and will continuously do hopefully less and less. (laughs) Right. Awesome. Does that make sense? It does. And it kind of just circles all the way back to how we started the conversation, which is really like finding your purpose and living to that purpose. Right. Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you so much for your time today. If someone has more questions for you, just wants to kind of find out more about what you're about, how can they find you? Uh, Well, you could reach out to me at, um, well, actually check out mindsetuplevel.com. So mindsetuplevel.com and you can watch my free training and then there's a way of, of reaching out to me if you feel comfortable doing that. That's one way to do it. Also check out my free um, Facebook group, which is called the mind to thrive. And you can, you can reach out there. It's a, it's a private group, but so you have to ask to join, but I'm happy to have people come on there. We have a great, really thriving, active community there of, of other people who feel strongly about this. And we have great conversations and interaction and engagement there. So that's two ways. How's that? You asked for one. Hey, you can say all you want. Um, and Amy is really great at what she does. So I definitely encourage you guys to check her out and just kind of um, see what she has to say, because she's awesome at what she does. So thank you so much for your time today. This is a great conversation and I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Brianne. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Highly Functional and had some great takeaways from it. If you'd like to discover more about the foot and ankle, you can check out runwithhappyfeet.com or check out my full website at getyourfixpt.com. And until next time, go out and be highly functional.